This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Lintonmeyer, a philosophy overlord who's over the moon to learn improv. And I'm Bill Arnett, an improv teacher, let's go simple, who's excited about learning philosophy. And we have two guests today. I'm Chills from Huge Theater in Minneapolis, and I'm philosophical and improvisational. And I'm Michelle Gilliam from Improv MKE, which is virtual, but I live in Milwaukee right now. (laughs) And I'm philosophical. So this is only the second time we've had guests, and uh, we thought we'd just make it really complicated right away. Just have two of them. Yes. (laughs) And just so everyone's clear, we didn't rehearse this at all. This is improv. This intro was completely improvised, (laughs) and they're just throwing this out. And Jill and Michelle heard Mark and I label ourselves. They're like, well, I need to come up with one, too. Because they're outstanding improvisers that we have on the show with us today. Do you see how improv works, Mark? Do you see how improv works? I'm beginning to see. I'm beginning to see. This is the 18th, 19th time we've done this. I'm beginning. Yes. It's starting. So the general format, each of us, Bill and I, have prepared a lesson, a very modest lesson. Something that if we just told you it, we could probably describe it in about a minute. (laughs) But we're going to draw it out. And we're going to discover it with y'all. We're not going to just say it up front. And we're not going to take turns. Any questions? No. No. Perfect. So when we're done, you two will, between the two of you, decide which lesson produced the most profound effect on you, on the learner, on the other one of us, on the listeners, on a posterity. So it's a big responsibility. You got to pay attention. But of course, you're not just sitting in the wings. You're not just judging. You're participating, being in the, in the scenes, having the talk. Yeah, I'm constantly judging. As you should. <laughs> now, Mark, usually we do decide who gets to go first, and I don't recall what you decided thought would be a good first. So I thought in particular with this large crowd here that I should just throw out a word, and then okay. you can start a scene, and if you want to have one of our guests, or you know, however sure. you want to start the scene, so that you can uh, facilitate whatever lesson you have in mind, which I know is a little restrictive, because if your lesson is not having a topic, well... Too effing bad because I'm giving you a topic. I'm giving you a word at least. And the word is utopia or utopias. I don't care if it's plural. How about utopian? Uh, I suppose. A- any? Okay. Utopiating, utopiary. I think we can let that word trickle into our subconscious and start a, an improv scene here. And I'm so happy to have you all as guests here. Not that it's unfun improvising with Mark, but it's. Additionally fun improvising with other people. I'll I'll get this thing going and we'll go from there. How about that? Sounds good. Hey, everybody. I just, uh, I called everyone into the break room here. I just wanted to go over the new vacation policy that just came down from corporate. Yeah, Tony, I got the, I got the packet, but I didn't really, I didn't really look it all the way through yet. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in that packet. Thick. It's a thick packet. Yeah. Um, what are the colors? What are the like the color tabs? It seems very elaborate. Yeah. What do the colors signify? I, I, look, here, I read the whole thing. It appears that we get unlimited vacation time. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. But then the rest of it is all the restrictions around unlimited vacation time. So what, what do you mean? What like you, you can only go certain places? You can take all the vacation time you want, but you, you have to let someone know. All right. And that person you do let know, they have to let their one up know as well. And then that one up then emails back to verify, "Ah, if I'm getting this right, to re-verify. 
You get unlimited vacation. I mean, let's let's, let's be happy about that. <laughs> so that's exciting, right? Can we turn to all of us to the pink tab? Can everyone turn to their okay. pink tab mm-hmm. in the back? I, don't, I, uh-huh. I, I noticed something here. Behind the pink tab, it says, you cannot adhere to any limits during your unlimited vacation. And then it lists some examples. Yeah. Like you should conquer all of your fears. Yeah. I read that as just kind of, you know, hey. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. Honestly, I, I don't know what that means. Quick question. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, if we could go to the blue tab, the blue uh-huh. tab. Uh-huh. Thanks. The light blue or the dark blue, which I've got. Sorry, medium blue. I apologize. Okay, sure, sure, uh, sure. So Royal not blue. light or dark. Okay. Yes. So it says, if you so fancy... Uh-huh. Get yourself a thousand yellow daisies a day, but if you don't fancy that, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, everything that I saw was in italics. I figured it was an example, uh, so I'm not sure if that's. Uh, look, y'all, I got the same packet. <laughs> to, I mean, will the as daisies well. be provided for us, or is that a personal expense? I don't believe so. I don't. I think that's just an example of what one might do on there. On their vacation. I like daisies, uh-huh. but I don't know if I'd want a thousand. That's a lot. Yellow every day. Gail's right. There's like a limit. Then let's not get them. Let's not get them. Okay. I'm, I'm confused. But I do like them though. Can I just ask about the black tab? And for some reason, the black tab is sort of, okay. you have to, it's kind of stuck. Like there's some substance in Mine here. Is stuck too. Yeah. Why are, yeah. They, are they all, they, they were mass printed. So there's like some sort of sticky substance in there. Is this like a secret page? Do we find like a bonus track <gasps> on the? Is this written in blood? I don't really. What? What it's is this? Red. What is it's this red. as a as a policy? Cheyenne. Is this that new like VP that they brought in? That external person? I thought they were going to hire. I thought you were going to get the job, actually, Tony. But who is the source of this? Uh, I believe this just came from H. I got in the office, and this was on my desk, and I just figured it was HR. VP, employee, relation. It says, I am not a sorcerer, nor am I the devil. That's kind of odd. Doesn't that go without saying? That's very odd. It doesn't feel official, but it is written is in blood. From something? Is that a quote from something? Should we be worried? I don't know. This sounds like a prelude to layoffs to me. This doesn't kind of irrationality in the sector. Maybe it's just trying to stop the unionization that's coming down the pike. Let's just, this is craziness. This is absolute craziness. All right. Daisies. I mean, but we all have, you know, tenure. We all have time in. So, I mean, we can't be. You know what? I'm going to take the plunge. Um, Tony, this uh-huh. is my notification to you, my higher up that I would like to exercise my unlimited vacation starting today, starting now. Um, oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I'm triggering the orange tab. Okay, all right. Um, I'll begin filling out the thing here. Jill, are you okay? You're, you're looking like suddenly the kind of pale, like the words you said had some uh, physical effect on your, your... I don't think I want to exercise my vacation right now. I feel like gravity doesn't apply to me. I feel like none of the laws of thermodynamics. I feel an inertia doesn't exist. Okay, no one else go on vacation. No one else go on vacation until we figure this out. Oh my gosh, Jill is floating. Jill, you're floating. You're, what is happening right now? Oh gosh. Oh gosh. You're wearing like an 18th century <laughs> gown or something. Are you 
I see my grandmother and she's happy to see me. And, and I see birds, all the kinds of birds, even extinct ones. There's a dodo here. Okay. No one go on vacation. Honestly. I like dodos. Wow. Uh, okay. Um, I'm going to invoke vacation. Yes, oh, Gail. No, please. Join vacation. me. Join me, Gail. I'm telling you, Tony. And so oh. you have to tell your higher up. Please don't do this. Michelle, please. Ooh. <laughs> Bill, maybe you actually should, Tony, call, call the higher up and just see what. Okay. There's electricity in your happening? eyes. There's electricity in your eyes right now. I don't understand. Ooh, I feel different. <laughs> we, we got Q3 ending on Thursday. Okay. So we, we really need to get our numbers figured out. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to start working right now. I'm going to sit down. I, this, is, uh, this is too much. Does anyone else see that big bunny rabbit in the corner? Uh, yes. yes, I see him. Wow. Okay. Um, do you still want a thousand daisies or? Make it 972. Very specific number. And scene. We did it. <laughs> Whoa. That's the awkward part. <laughs> about this show <laughs> is when things end. Well, and can I tell you, Bill, something that I came into this with was a determination not to end the scene myself, not to try to solve it, not to get nervous that this was running too long and uh, have some mm-hmm. sort of deus ex machina that would wrap things up. <laughs> That's something we have talked about. And to our other Michelle and Jill or other improvisers, if there's ever a moment you want to jump in with a little baby lesson or an amen to the things that Mark has learned, jump right on in. That's a good lesson. To not try to end it internally. I think that's, uh, I mean, Michelle and I both have taught a lot of beginning improv classes. And I think that's the funniest moment when the student like stops and looks at you. Or they hug because another, like, <laughs> they think that that's the end. I have let so many scenes go longer than the hug <laughs> because they think that solves everything. <laughs> Do they ever jump in the air and freeze? And then it's like really awkward because it's like keeps going. And they're frozen. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was trained in a, Michelle and I were both trained in comedy sports short form where there's often a funny last line where you're like, well, that's going to leave a mark. And if the scene goes past them, whoo, people freak out, freak out. <laughs> so... That's something we've been laying in and working on is that, you know, you play to the whistle, play through the whistle mm-hmm. and not presuppose the end. Yeah. Curious, Bill, how did, how did you feel like that related to utopia? How, how did that word influence what you're setting up here? Well, I know exactly how that affected me. And I go to work, I go to workplace scenes probably far too often. <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys detect Jill, Michelle, did you guys detect anything utopian in there? Well, I think what's fun about how we handle utopia in literature and media in general is that we are always looking for the dark side of it. Totally. There's no movie or book where the utopia is great and it's like, bye (laughs) folks. Yeah, we're taught in every aspect that there's a cost to goodness, so to speak. There's a man behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. There's something... Yeah, unlimited vacation was the first thing. I had some friends in the workaday world, and they mentioned that a new trend of like businesses having unlimited vacation, and that was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I wonder how that. I wonder what the realities of that are. And of course, <laughs> it becomes pretty horrible immediately. Jill and Michelle, yeah, <laughs> not even a moment of celebrating. It went right <laughs> to. <laughs> I had that at a job. I was a manager 
for a large company and you could take off whenever you wanted as long as it basically didn't conflict with something else major. Even if it did, as long as there was coverage, you could take off whenever (laughs) you wanted. I had a job like that, but it was unofficial. Like nobody knew. I could go to lunch as long as I wanted and no one would notice. And then I would come back. There was a library right across the street. So I could just go to the library for a little while and then go back to work. No one noticed. I lived in Boston at the time and I went, I came back to Wisconsin and other places eight times that year. Um, (laughs) And it wasn't even taking advantage. I literally had a, a lot of deaths in my family and it sucked. But I was also grateful I had the time to be able to do that. So. Yeah, yeah. And those deaths presumably were in return for that f- flexibility. Right, of course. Well, based on this scene, yes. Based on the, yeah, you, there is a, a pound of soul for your unlimited vacation. So, Mark, go for it. Well, I'm wondering maybe we could do, since we have two guests, two short scenes that each one of you sort of initiates to maybe more directly, but at least as directly as in Bill's case, give us a flavor of what you think either Utopia might amount to or just play with the concept and do something goofy with it. I don't really care that much, but something that is instead of my just asking you, what do you think Utopia is? I want to do this through the magic of improvisation. Okay, we'll get back to Utopia having a Dark side. Well, right? that's uh, maybe that'll come out during one of these okay. things, or maybe it won't. Maybe maybe you want to challenge that suspicion that you have to have. Maybe it's just a story trope, but has nothing to do with like what an actual utopia would be. Michelle, do you want to start? Sure. Are you going to be playing in these scenes, Mark? Oh yeah. Okay. Very good. Okay. I mean, a minor role, fourth on the call sheet. Sure. Um, I uh, I wanted to be the first to share with you all. Um, we have run out of breadsticks. Um, <laughs> this is all. I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> We're finally here. We're finally free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm just right now, if you don't mind, I'm going to make a sign and put it on the, put it on the uh, Mater D stand. <laughs> the host, the host stand. I encourage it. Uh, but this, but this policy is, it's bottomless. It's never ending breadsticks. How could we, act, I don't understand. How could we run out of breadsticks? Things happen. Yeah. It's the, the whole foundation of the enterprise. I mean, it's like that people come for the breadsticks. That's what this place is for. What? I hear what you're saying. Yeah, look, Mark, I don't know what force of nature has made the breadstick being empty, all right? I don't know what cosmic thing, but I'm not going to question it. <laughs> I'm it right now. The supplier was a whole thing, corporate situation, but we're done. We're out of that deal. There are people, he, I mean, so Mr. Miller over there has been, yeah. according to my watch, 53 years has been down here eating the breadsticks. Yes. I mean, that's the thing that was designed for him. What? No more mm-hmm. breadsticks? What? We just like go back to poking him with sticks or something? Mr. Aaron Miller, table 17. He has come here every day for the last 53 years. And today, you, Jonathan, get to tell him that there are no more breadsticks. I wish you the best. Did you know that? 
Aaron Miller has a son in Cincinnati who he has not visited in 53 years because he's been forced to come here in pursuit of bottomless breadsticks. Finally, Mr. Aaron Miller is free to reconnect with his son. We're all free. Wow. We're no longer beholden to the breadstick gods. Somehow we've spun off this Mobius strip and we're adrift in a carveless infinity. I'm just going to poison him. There's no good way to tell him. Let's just wrap this up. Okay, this this conversation is not ending right there, Mark. We're going to continue talking. <laughs> Don't poison our customer. Okay, where's the shopping right there? <laughs> All right, Jill, you want to start a utopia here? We're two well, for two with workplace discussions. Yeah, I'm not sure if you've got it. You can go for say. three here. I, I thought I was thinking for a second we were in hell and that the people were being punished <laughs> with breadsticks. <laughs> oh, and, maybe. And Jill and reinterpreted that my 52 years thing in a, in a different way. Wow, <laughs> if I had okay. just said 155 years, then it would have been more clear <laughs> that this is some sort of afterlife breadstick prison. <laughs> If you had said afterlife breadstick well, prison, it also would have been more clear. I didn't want to hog the conceptual <laughs> spotlight. I wanted to just throw oh, a little tidbit must. out there. You simply must, you tease. What was, what, Michelle, what was your thought in starting that of that things are so wonderful that running out of breadsticks is the problem and that or? Yeah, because people are so addicted to those breadsticks. It's like that is the <laughs> utopia. You're talking about a guy who was there for 53 years. That is not far off the beat, I feel like. Yeah. You know, we still don't go inside of restaurants, but, you know, every time we go and do pickup, it is packed. (laughs) And so I'm just like, this is nuts. (laughs) And people are addicted. And I'm sure we've all met people who have figured out how to, like, game the Olive Garden system. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You get the large Alfredo. Actually, I do that. (laughs) And you share it. And you can run the breadsticks in the Alfredo sauce and, like... My husband is a former Olive Garden waiter, server. (laughs) Okay. Whoa. And he told me a hot tip, at least when he worked there uh, back in the 90s, uh, the breadsticks were just made of Wonder Bread. Really? Really? Wonder Bread from from, uh, like a bread plastic container just literally dumped and like reconstituted? No, no, no. The factory that makes Wonder Bread (laughs) also conformed some of their Wonder Breads to be stick-like and froze them and sent them to every Olive Garden in this fine nation, at least in the 90s. Wow. I don't know current (laughs) intel. I I doubt they've upped their game since the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you're winning, why change your strategy? If it ain't broke. All right. So we got a glimpse into (laughs) Michelle's mind. Jill, do you want to start us off on another adventure here? Yeah. Can I confess something to you guys? Of course. Like, um, I always thought the post-apocalypse would be like uh, depressing, but I don't know how you feel, but I'm really grooving on it. Like, I love it. Once you get over the grieving period for with all the all yeah. the dead people, I mean, it, it's very spacious. We, we got uh, until the fuel all goes bad. I mean, things are going to get bad eventually. But for now, it's pretty awesome. Thank you. That's exactly what I was thinking right now. Like six months ago, I was so worried about how I keep my clothes clean. And now I'm just dressed in furs and metal that I found. And I feel great. I feel like we don't have the same 
dress code standards and restrictions. I feel amazing. Mm -hmm. And there's no media pressure to be hot or beautiful, whatever that means. Whatever that means. You're beautiful right now. You look so beautiful to me. Thank you. I went into a JCPenney that had been completely just and just picked out the clothes that I wanted to wear, that I always wanted to Thank wear. you. And that society said I couldn't wear. Just all pajamas I, all, all day? That was your choice? Yeah. It's very comfy. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not mocking it. And can I tell you something? This I used to have to make time to go to the gym, but now I get all of my fitness just by, you know, hunting down feral dogs. And avoiding zombies. Like I'm, I feel I'm in better physical shape than when I was paying a personal trainer $180 a week. I'm in peak condition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it shows and it's pretty important because, you know, I don't know. We got to repopulate. We got to use all the possible combinations among us, but it's still nice to, you know, to put in some effort. What I'm saying is the effort is effortless. It's great. We also agreed to table repopulation until we discussed. If we even want to bring anyone else into this world, right? Is right. that okay? Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. I know that always gets put on the back burner, but uh, you know, I, I want it on the agenda somewhere. Maybe next next quarter. Put a pin in it. Okay. Fair enough. I do think it would be fair, though, Mark, that if we do have to, as you say, have every combination exercise. That I think a combination that may not come to our minds is is you and me, is you and me, Mark. And even though that's not. I've definitely thought about that. I mean, it's just, uh, okay. It's like for group cohesion, you got to have all the combinations. I think, I know you didn't want to talk about this yet, but that's now you've opened the floodgates and I, I feel like all four all the time. Like the, you know, no jealousy, just uh, a complete group experience. And that would really be the ideal. You know what? Let's put a pin in it. Put a pin in it. Uh huh. Maybe next quarter. Let's think about it. Let's feel about it. It seems like a little, there's some more uh, zombies or whatever the hell they are at the at the gates. Should we go sure. and, you know, kind of thin thin the herd out yeah. before we talk Let's more about this? Let's go thin that herd, everybody. Hands in the middle. Thin the herd on three. Yeah. One, One, two, two, two three. three. Thin, thin the herd. herd. And now we hug. <laughs> now we look awkwardly at Michelle. Yay. <laughs> and now you let the scene go. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the how Utopia prompted that, other than uh, this is a momentary feeling well, of of something. Was it all just on the surface of what, what that character was saying in the first line? Well, this is what's interesting. When you're using the same suggestion multiple times, it's your responsibility to run at it from different directions. And we'd kind of already run at it from utopia. So I wanted to look at like the other side and see what if dystopia was, we'd already looked at what if utopia was dystopia. Now, if we could look at what if dystopia was utopia, because we have this opportunity when we're doing more than one scene on the same theme to hold that theme up to the light, like a prism and see all the ways that it shines. So that was my impulse. Yeah. What if dystopia was your utopia? Let us stop and talk about our sponsors. First, BetterHelp. We all want to be happy, but sometimes things get in the way, and it's really helpful to talk these out. And BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. 
Just to clarify, this is not a crisis line, not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. You can send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to leave your house. And if things with this counselor doesn't work out, it's easy and free to change counselors. This service is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. I encourage you to check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash improv. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash improv. St. John's College is for undergraduate and graduate students who seek meaning in their lives, who ask hard questions of themselves and their world, and who dare to free their minds. In small discussion-based classes, students grapple with fundamental questions that confront us as human beings and engage with influential works by some of the world's greatest writers and thinkers, from Homer, Plato, and Euclid, to Nietzsche, Einstein, Wolf, and Baldwin. This strong commitment to collaborative inquiry and to the study of original texts makes St. John's College a particularly vibrant community of learning, where students participate in lively discussions and immerse themselves in translating, writing, demonstrating, conducting experiments, and analyzing musical compositions. Through this, they learn to listen deeply and across perspectives, and to speak and reason with precision. Explore 3,000 years of human thought in just four years, or two for graduate students, on campuses in Annapolis, Maryland, and Santa Fe, New Mexico. Learn about our undergraduate and graduate great books programs, including online graduate options at sjc.edu slash improv. Do you read Post Secret? There was this Post Secret posted this week. It's a collection of secrets that strangers write in to this person who has a, a mailbox. And someone wrote in about how the lockdown for the pandemic had really been the highlight of their life. And they got a <laughs> raise and they got a promotion and like lost a bunch of weight and were having a great time. And it's a secret because you don't want to say that out loud that, hey, Mm-hmm. Hey, this is the most horrible part of recent history, but I'm having a blast. <laughs> yeah. I'm maxing out. Yeah, I love it. I love I what love if it. and improv. Like, what if the thing we assume to be true is is not? I love that take. Yeah, what is the thing that seems to undermine whenever we visualize a utopia? Why does that immediately, what is it about that sort of ideation that makes it immediately turn to dystopia? Is it really just storytelling convention and it's more interesting that way? Or is there something about the concept of utopia that's unstable? Well, I think for me, it's like utopia is not utopia for everyone, right? Even to what we can imagine, my utopia is very different from what you guys might imagine because what I currently face is very different from what you guys can imagine on or off the stage. So I think that that's kind of the thing. It's like utopia is not utopia for everyone, right? It's not universal. And even in the scenes we saw, there were minor disagreements or minor frictions between people. For sure, for sure. So does that mean for a utopia to be stable, then sort of human nature would need to be deformed so that we all like the same stuff or something like that? Or is it just, that's a lack of imagination on what utopia would be, that we don't all have to be Utopia is unlimited breadsticks because we all love breadsticks. Like that, that would just be a limited <laughs> idea of what humans want. 
Wait, well, I thought- the idea of a utopian society, like you would buy into being in that society, right? And if breadstick utopia was the utopia for me, I would move to Idaho <laughs> or wherever that's taking ah. place. So utopia <laughs> is <laughs> six or eight different utopias that are in a confederacy of utopias, and you could pick which utopia you wanted to live in. Okay. My utopia is the warrior utopia that conquers all surrounding utopias. Well, no, Only that's the- not part of our utopia. But that's not part of our utopia, the being conquered. <sighs> it's something that jumped out of all these was this notion of, like, choice and freedom in terms of, like, some restriction has been removed. You know, having to hawk breadsticks or you're not allowed to be sick, you know, a vacation time or, or you're not allowed to you know, with Jill's things that society has all these things that requires of us, that when those are gone, that somehow that that's a positive to be relieved some. And that, that kind of popped up in all the scenes. And, you know, certainly to Michelle's point, people's utopia is being different. That's definitely speaks to that too. We all have different pressures or things that are asked of us or things that we have to, life has thrust upon us that we must endure. And that being relieved of those things might be unique for each of us and also our sincerest wish or dream or our personal utopia. Yeah. What I liked about Jill's was that it was a freedom of the mind, right? So it's like we have these outer restrictions and then we have these inner restrictions, but there was already, because we're it's post-apocalyptic, the outer restriction. And then there were the previously considered restrictions, you know, from society. And then all of that's pretty much gone. So then you get to, like you said, choice, right? Like, how do I feel? And what is my perspective on this such that this is my utopia? Yeah, you have some agency. Yeah, really cool. Now, Mark, typically, for y'all's benefit, he may have some wisdom from the ancients, or as I've been referring to it, clearly, I'm presuming, Mark, that these discussions have taken place in more formal academic settings for millennia. Is that true? Well, see, you're always overstating my knowledge (laughs) of the field and the ancients. Certainly there are versions of this in different novels. I mean, the sci-fi dystopia stuff that comes out now, you know, these are all sort of in a tradition. I've never actually read like Thomas More's book, Utopia, but I did look it up on Wikipedia today and it's very idiosyncratic to him. There are, per Michelle's observation, there are slaves in his utopia. (laughs) Like that's not, doesn't seem cool. But it's temporary and you can get freed for good behavior, but like you might be put into slavery for adultery. Apparently he didn't like adultery, but he uh, thought that in his utopia, the priests would be allowed to have sex. So that it was a critique of the Catholic church. He has particular beefs that he wanted to show. You know, it's like the particular things that he found to be too tight strictures and like at least those are going to get loosened up. Does utopia include doing something the, the bad people get their comeuppance? Is that included? We did something we didn't discuss in any of our scenes, but like, is that also part of Utopia? That the users and mean hearted people finally get their comeuppance. Is that also part of Utopia? Yeah. What, what do you think in your sort of ideal society? Because in your di- ideal society, usually people just aren't doing stuff like that. Well, yeah, you don't have to lock your doors anymore. But does that mean there's no criminals if you don't have to lock your doors? Or there aren't users or people who would take advantage of those freedoms or choices? to be cruel, and what happens to them? Ugh. The dictionary definition says, an imagined place or state of things in which everything is perfect, 
And I love that Thomas More felt some obligation to have the making of perfection part of the, you did, like, he didn't think about like, oh, maybe just not have it or not have it be frowned upon. Isn't yeah, that yeah. interesting? Yes, there seems to be, you know, I'm kind of getting to the point of revealing okay. what, what I was getting at here. But, you know, there's some relation certainly between what you think the utopia is and what you think human nature is. Right. So if you think everybody just loves breadsticks or everybody should love breadsticks. So, and this is kind of where we get into the, you know, maybe the slide to dystopias is because maybe you don't think people right now, like as Bill was just saying, like, well, there are people right now with all their vices. If they're put in a heavenly situation, maybe they're going to take advantage of that. They're going to take advantage of each other. But no, no, no. In a real utopia, people just wouldn't do that kind of stuff. Maybe you have an idea of human nature that says the only reason people do stuff like that is because we have money because we have greed because we have a marriage system that inspires jealousy like so we just need to somehow arrange these social forces so that people don't act out i mean what do you what do you guys think of that is that even if you were designing a utopia that's interesting i was literally just having this conversation on the drive up to minneapolis a couple weeks ago where i missed jill going up to huge theater because of what was on the news about the Haitians coming to our country and also on misinformation, but then the images that were out there of them being treated as if they were slaves. So anyway, you know, we have a lot of the Afghani people coming here, welcoming with open arms. But anyway, I was thinking, is there a way, like I would, if I had like unlimited funds, I would want to like buy this land out West where any person of African descent could come and live and there's really no system for money, the recommendation would be that you volunteer in some sort of fashion at least four hours a week because I want people to have purpose, you know, and of course they can do more and but everything is provided, you know, schooling and housing and just anything you could possibly imagine. Anyway, that's kind of a, one of my utopias is making sure that all African peoples are taken care of all over the world. And I want everyone to be taken care of. And right now, that is the one of the biggest ones that I can imagine because it's just not happening. Now, there's something interesting about human nature. And I think there are definitely people on the more right side politically who their fear is someone got something for free. That's like the worst fear in the world. Someone didn't earn something or deserve something. And so many of our versions of utopia, the price is, well, you're a human. You deserve it because you're a human. You know, you don't have to do anything necessarily to earn anything beyond just being alive. Yet, to your point, I can't just snap my fingers and make the 70 million people who voted for Donald Trump suddenly not feel like people don't deserve stuff for free. Angrily feel that no one deserves anything for free. I don't know how you square that circle. Jill's notion of multiple That's utopias. That's why we need That's multiple, multiple yeah. utopias. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's why we need multiple <laughs> utopias. Because to me, utopia would be having all of your needs met. And I think there's a lot of needs to be met that we don't cover. Like the need to have your generational trauma healed helps in addition to having food and shelter and and water and comfort and the need to have your white fragility deeply examined is a need that could be met 
I don't think we, I would never skip that in the list of needs being met because I was thinking as we were talking, like the reason for me personally that utopia leads to dystopia is because I never fully trust it. I'm always waiting for the shoe to drop. Like this is going too well. Something will go wrong. And I don't know if that's a a bigger phenomenon, but it's at least a personal phenomenon where I'm waiting for the banana peel to interrupt my gait. I was once walking in the New York subway and I was like, wow, everything's going great. And I cartoon slipped at that exact moment on a puddle (laughs) on the ground. And my legs just went up like cartoon legs. And it was so funny to have happened while you're thinking the exact phrase, wow, everything's going so great. (laughs) Do you think that fear that something's going to go wrong is human or do you think it's your own or? I think it's human. I'm sorry. I know you're asking Joe, but I don't know. Please. (laughs) (laughs) That inside all of us is this like radar of like, (gasps) things are going too good. There could be a saber-toothed tiger other, behind that are, is boulder. Half of the, some portion of the population really confident. And I have an experiment I want everyone to try whenever you're like, like I sit at the desk at Huge, at the front desk. And if you have a plate of cookies that has no sign on it, just a plate of cookies, homemade on a plate, there's a percentage of the people that will walk up and take one. There's a percentage of people who will say, can I have one? There's a percentage of people will say, how much do they cost? And then there's a fourth group of people who will sit far away and like give love glares, like just stare longingly (laughs) at those cookies. (laughs) And not know what to do about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I think there's a percentage of the population that assumes the world is designed for them. And they're just going to take that cookie and they think utopia is forever. But there's a bunch of us that are like looking at that plate and thinking, that can't be for me. Yeah. <laughs> that can't be for me. Who would not put a sign there? Clearly, that it's in transit and just put it there. There would be no a sign. Just, if there it would was be for a me, sign. there'd be a sign. <laughs> There's also a percentage of the population that doesn't eat what other people cook. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a pre-pandemic experiment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a percentage of people who are, don't eat sugar yeah. either. Yeah. I make it or it's a prepackaged non-perishable. Nothing in between. Yeah. <laughs> Merely pretending the cookies are not there because like if the social cues are not clear what to do with it, you just completely disregard it. I would think that would be another, yeah. the logical I matrix. really enjoy it. It's an experiment I invented accidentally by having a plate of cookies <laughs> sitting next to me. And I was riveted all afternoon. That. That's fun. You could get a grant for that, Jill. This feeling of something inevitably going wrong, I mean, that could just be related to some theory about all systems break down eventually. There are limits of the optimality of any system, or it could be something about, you know, maybe human nature just will not actually allow for utopia that you could, (laughs) you could give us supposedly everything we need. And maybe we would create our own bullshit dramas and sort of, (laughs) there might be a net as much suffering. That's the idea. I think the term is the hedonic treadmill. We would just adjust people adjust to the worst circumstances, right? They have sort of the same happiness level sort of worldwide, I think this has even been measured something. And if we have more privileges, more pleasures available to us, you know, we'll just still be just as merciful. We'll just create problems for ourselves. For me, that's not an argument for not trying. (laughs) I'd love us to be free of poverty and want, but there might be limits. So Jill, I totally relate to 
you know, the whole like, oh, just everything's going too well, you know, and then waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I've been consciously for the last few years, just like taking that thought and just making sure like, it's like, hey, everything can go okay, Michelle, <laughs> you know, like just <laughs> kind of like talking to myself and it works for me anyway. I can't say it'll work for everyone, but like, that's where I'm just like, I think it's a human thing. I think it's like, for a lot of people, not everybody, but like, it's just like, oh, something's going to happen. But like, I don't know. Lately, it's been feeling really good the last few years. Good. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> hey, Bill, we should start to unravel what your lesson today was. Well, I think y'all have done a fantastic job of doing my, le- fulfilling my lesson. And I'll give you a hint, Mark. This lesson all started with the very first emails shared between the four of us and what they accomplished to enable this moment to happen, which I feel was quite utopian. Something about uh, familiarity and chemistry and feeling like you know the people that you're doing a scene with, even if this is the first time you're doing it with them. That improv, and I know we can talk about it, and certainly when Mark and I get to chatting, it can get very engineering heavy, lots of protractors and graph paper, but at its heart, it's social. And it's even quasi-spiritual to regard as well. And even though we may have advice and do this, don't do that, and tool belt analogies. Everyone's coming to this as an individual, and everyone's coming to this with their own thoughts and feelings and hearts and brains. And we shouldn't see that as a problem. Instead, we should see that as as a strength. Now, what allowed us to have this free conversation is all of us kind of agreeing to kind of a set of ground rules. And this is how this works. And this is how, you know, almost like a, a miniature society between the four of us. And I think it's fun when you have improvisers from all around the world come together and play. They have this gear they can shift into that is, this is how this works, this society works. And it's generally really positive and peaceful and approaches utopia, I feel like. I don't know if anyone, if Jill or Michelle have had a chance to go to big improv festivals and things. And it's, it's nice to like, you got a place to live, you got something to do. Everyone has the same rule book and uh, is there for the same reason. And suddenly, all, the only problems that exist are how late do I want to stay up drinking and, <laughs> and any interpersonal problems. You get that small glimpse for a long weekend of what society might be able to be. We've had to get smarter over time and highlight what Michelle was talking about, that utopia is not the same utopia for everyone. And I think now we do a better job of paying attention to the needs of the individual inside of of the mini but there is great commonality worldwide and immediate immediate yes. community and michelle you said you do your instruction over the internet right so uh, i do i mean obviously i did in person before but i'm i'm not doing anything majorly in person right now i'm doing a few shows here and there and i did one jam yeah so how does the lesson about this being social it seems like it would be a, a very different dynamic both maybe more nerve-wracking, but more intimate or whatever. If we were all in the same room doing this, any thoughts on sort of how that affects Bill's lesson? It doesn't for me. I've had 130 jams of thousands of people that have come online. It doesn't. I know for some people it does. I would say, I mean, this is me just guessing, just making a guesstimate, but like probably only about 10% of like improvisers who were hardcore improvisers before the pandemic are online now. I think we're getting a few more now, which is weird because like there's like you can do in-person stuff now. But 
I think it's just as social and I think it literally opened up the world. I've met people that I would not have ever met or maybe would have met once at a festival and never spoken to them again unless they had social media and, and really would have forgotten much of the experience, but now created bonds and friendships and relationships that just were not possible before. So the social aspect ramped up. So I'm wondering, uh, can I borrow money from you guys now? Is that... Uh, we- well... <laughs> Now that we're a family. Can we go to the, can you drive me to the airport? (laughs) (laughs) Was there any other thoughts? I feel like we've talked through the utopia thing quite a bit. Any other thoughts on, I feel like I already said what I was trying to get at, but I'm happy to give you each a, uh, you know, a final stab at the topic or. Can I ask Bill a quick question? Sure. Did you say quasi spiritual? Yes. Did you, do you listen to Abraham Hicks? Do you know who that is? I, I do not. They use the phrase quasi-spiritual a <laughs> lot. No, 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 no. There's just some language you use today. And I was like, mm, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that whole notion about like what makes a church a church, you know, and it's this shared thing of beliefs and a, as a degree of faith that you're going to take on these behaviors and take on these things and you're going to have faith that it's, it's going to work and it's the right thing. And sometimes improv can do that. Especially, I bet there are little rules at Huge and little rules at MKE that are like, if I were to show up, I may put my foot in my mouth or I may not know when to stand or y'all may say the Lord's Prayer a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? That when you have those little societies, these little spiritual unspoken rules kind of grow up in a fun way and in a bad way. It's just an observation about groups. That's all I got. (laughs) Bill always brings a lot of quasi-spirit to the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not a real spirit. It's just quasi Huh. All right. Well, I guess we've reached the moment of decision. No, it's not personal. It's not that I, the philosophy represents me. It's the lesson, the lesson that Bill brought to the table versus the one that I brought to the table, which do you guys want to confer? Do you want to come up with independent? Do you want to put them in the chat? How do we want to do this with two people? Can you say your lesson again, Mark? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good Ouch. sign. Ouch. It was the relationship between an envisioned utopia and a picture of human nature. So that it's always, you know, if you think we're all just pluralist, you know, we all have different natures, then that seems to be what, maybe we all have common needs that, you know, some bare necessities that would be great if everybody took care of those, you know, if those weren't something that we had to, to worry about. But beyond that, it seems like, you know, we should be able to pursue whatever we, we want. And most of the utopias that have been envisioned, and the reason that they go so quickly to dystopia is like Brave New World, is because you come up with a sort of a shallow theory of human nature. Like, everybody just wants to be happy. Okay, well, let's drug everybody so they're all happy. <laughs> That's basically what ah. happens in Brave New World. In fact, let's genetically, Spoiler alert. Let's genetically yeah, yeah. engineer people so that they are just not going to be misanthropes. And we, we just have to somehow breed that native dissatisfaction out of us. So it's just getting at the relationship between those two things. You know, even though I think utopiaizing is out of fashion, People are just like, ah, that's not realistic. Like, it seems like a useful thing to figure out what your view of human nature is. Like, are people just inevitably, you know, miserable and conflict driven? Or is it really just, you know, that we do have some social structures, like maybe the existence of money or the existence of monogamy or whatever the thing is that you think is too restricting, that if we just were able to get rid of those, then people would not be so tortured. Okay, thank you. Sorry. (laughs) I remember now. So what do you think? How were you impacted? How were you both impacted? And just so you know, this is just kind of a, no, I wouldn't say phony, but it's just kind of a fun little thing. No one's, 
there's only a little bit of money riding on it. I was going to wow. ask. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I think I have to go with Mark as much as it kills me as an improviser. Uh, because I think it is very individual. I'm so sorry, Bill. I know our friendship is long and and now it's got this blemish. <laughs> All right. Do we have do we have unanimity or do we have a split decision? We have a split decision. Oh, oh. there it is. <laughs> there it is. Thank you, Michelle. What, what did you enjoy about the the improv lesson that will inspire the world? I learned that, well, I mean, it's, it's something that I feel anyway. I feel like, and I don't know, it's a little bit both of your lessons. So it really hit me when you said quasi-spiritual. Like, I am not a churchgoer. I, I mean, I started going when I was 11, but my parents didn't take us to church or anything like that because they wanted us to make our own choices and decisions. But anyway, when I was introduced to improv, improv blew my mind. And when I started performing improv, that is the most spiritual that I feel when I'm on stage and I'm fully connected and I'm fully present and I'm listening. And to me, that is improv when you're in that moment. And so what I learned is you can do this with anyone if you're fully present. <laughs> and you allow yourself to have fun. I don't know if that helps at all, but that's... Fantastic. I certainly enjoy it. <laughs> They voted for. All right. Well, a split decision leaves everyone happy and yet no. So we will, that's that seems Just probably like the, utopia. The optimal like utopia. utopia that we could we the could come up with. for next week. <laughs> thank you both for joining us. Thank you hugely, hugely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pun, pun intended. On yeah! hugely, thank you. Yes. All right. So long, listeners. Thank you for listening. We like you a little bit. Bye. 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 Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Baby, I should sell my soul. Baby, I should sell my soul.